Welcome to the Queer SLP Podcast. We are two speech-language pathologists who identify with the LGBT plus community. On each episode, we'll highlight relevant queer issues and stories from our field. The Queer SLP Podcast's mission is to provide informative and pertinent content from proud and chatty SLPs. Okay, well, hello and welcome to the third episode of the Queer SLP Podcast. Yes, we are here. This is so exciting. Here we are. Together in person. In person. Yay. And our first Proud Professional episode. Huge. Yes, which I've been excited about and also terrified about. Yeah, Um, the feelings are definitely building up. As we've said in previous episodes, we are here to be vulnerable with everybody. And this is our time of vulnerability because we are going to start off by interviewing each other. And today I am going to be interviewing Hector. So shall we jump in? I think we're ready. Yeah? I think so. So let's go back to the very beginning, because it is a very good place to start. Tell me a little bit about your upbringing, your childhood. Were there queer attitudes that were ingrained in you as a child? What was that like? Yeah. So I grew up in what is considered the Bible Belt of California. California has a Bible Belt? (laughs) It has a Bible Uh Belt part of the Central Valley. Okay. I grew up in this little city called Hanford. Um, I describe it as a citadel of farms. Okay. So you knew you were home when you smelled the manure. Like that's Uh, what we're talking about here. Oh my gosh. We have that in common. Yeah. Yeah. It's a unique upbringing, especially given that my family, we are, you know, a Filipino descent. So being in that predominantly white uh, community. I was going to ask, were there a lot of Filipino people in that community or? I would say there's a balance of different ethnicities in the area. Okay. But given that I went to Catholic school as well from kindergarten through eighth grade. Oh, wow. I was surrounded by a lot of white communities. So I grew up there and it was hard, I would say, not just as a person who is considering themselves as gay, but even being brown. Yeah. So as far as attitude and things like that, it was all negative. I grew up around the time that Matthew Shepard. Oh, God. Happened. That was my first real exposure to the LGBTQ community. Oh, honey. Was... That's a very difficult introduction. For anybody who doesn't know right. Matthew Shepard, let's yeah. give them some background. So Matthew Shepard was a young man going to college in Wyoming, like mm-hmm. Laramie, Wyoming. So. And he was lured by some peers to a field and he was brutally beaten and hung to a fence. Yep. And left to die. And it was, I mean, it's just even thinking about it, I can feel my hackles going up. It's, yeah. it's a very painful part of our history. Mm-hmm. And it brought to light hate crimes in a different way. That was what, the late 90s? Yeah. 98, I think. Something around, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I was definitely aware enough mm-hmm. to know that was traumatic for me. And so being that first real experience and and going to Catholic school, I had a very negative perception of what it was like to identify within the LGBTQ plus community. For me specifically, I figured it out when I was around 14 Hmm. was when I knew for sure. I had ideas before then. 
yeah. about being gay, but it was definitely a hard time growing up. My family wasn't, at least my parents weren't the most supportive prior to me coming out about, you know, being gay and what that meant. My brother and sister were great. Mm-hmm. I knew when I would eventually come out that they were going to be amazing. That's wonderful. The reason why I knew that was because they themselves had gay friends. Mm-hmm. And the way that they spoke about them, I just knew that, okay, I was going to be good. It wasn't even an issue whenever I came out to them, but I was always worried about my parents, mm. as most people are. Yeah, it's, <laughs> so. it's scary. And for those of you who maybe have never come out before, it is scary every time. Every time. Right. That fear never goes away. No. Even when you're fairly certain it's going to be okay, it's still very scary. You go back to that first time mm-hmm. in my mind, or at least I feel like I don't think I've felt confident coming out. It's always felt, okay, I'm going to do this mm-hmm. and let's see what happens. Yeah. One of the very few times that I ever felt confident, I guess, would be with my brother and sister. Mm-hmm. I'm so thankful for that experience with them. It was a funny coming out story Yeah, <laughs> for them because I remember specifically we were all sitting together. And my mom, who I had come out to earlier, said, oh, you need to tell them. Okay. And And I was like, right now? Like, we are literally watching, like, Saturday morning cartoons. Like, (laughs) you know, mind you, I'm 17 at this point. But um, Saturday morning cartoons are still awesome at 17. (laughs) And so I looked at them and they're like, what? And I said, well, I'm kind of gay. Kind of. (laughs) (laughs) And they both said, yeah, we knew. And I was like, oh, yeah, I figured you did. And they were saying, yeah, we knew when you did Bye 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 by NSYNC for the talent show in eighth grade. We knew. And they just listed all of Did you of learn the things. dance? Oh, I knew the dance. I was JC, like hardcore. <laughs> like I was intentionally JC because I had the biggest crush on him. Mm. But it was one of those things where they're like, they listed even like events towards when I was up to like five years old. Yeah. When they're like, yeah, we knew. We didn't know that you were ready. Yeah. Did you get a lot of that as you came out to people or people suspected or knew? That's a good question because I got that from people who are more knowledgeable about it. Those who weren't, especially the, that were part of the religious community, they were definitely a bit shocked. I've had people tell me, oh, you're not gay, Hector. You're, you just haven't met the right woman yet. You're confused. I was confused. Like, you're only gay right now. So yeah, growing up, there was a lot of negativity. I didn't have a lot of positive role models, to be honest. There wasn't anything visible for me to latch on to growing up in the 90s and then into the early 2000s. Well, and I'm guessing that also if there were people that were gay in your community, they were probably in the closet. Yeah. So let's fast forward a little bit. And why don't you tell me how you ended up choosing speech language pathology as your career? That is the most roundabout situation. (laughs) But that's why we're here. Do your best. I originally got my first bachelor's in deaf education. Okay. From Fresno State. Okay. And I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I learned about interpreting and being a teacher of the deaf. But we were all part of the communication disorders and deaf studies program at the school. Okay. And so we shared all of our classes with speech and audiology. So if you know anything about the deaf community and deaf culture, you could imagine how 
Sounds like there would be a lot of differing opinions there. Yes, and, and you heard it. And you, the cultural divide versus the medical. I left not knowing what to do after I graduated. So I took the time and I thought, well, I'm not deaf, but I'm not an autist either. Um, autist is a term for those that don't know, basically saying that you look at things from a hearing person's perspective. So autist is an A-U-D-I-S-T-E? Uh-huh. Yeah, Interesting. So I've never heard that like term before. Prejudice, but and so inherently, I felt this struggle. So I ended up thinking, well, if I can't completely be part of the deaf community, uh-huh. I can at the very least marry the two, be as informed as possible. And so speech was the next thing. Okay. So I get to have that unique background, and I came to UW, and I got my bachelor's in speech. And then UW, I got... as in University of Washington? Yep, the University of Washington. Right, not University of Wisconsin, not... which is also UW. Right, right. <laughs> that's in the other UW. Go Huskies. <laughs> but then I went and got my master's at WSU. Right, which uh, is in Spokane. Spokane. Yeah, they had their health campus in Spokane. Go Cougs. And... Wow, you're a Husky and a Coug? I know, that's kind of wow. weird. <laughs> yeah, so that's for those of you that don't no, that is like the biggest rivalry in the state of Washington between schools. And so anyway, I got my master's there and I get to be a speech therapist now who has a unique background of being conversationally fluent in American Sign Language, but also I have a background in deaf education. So I get to be informed in all aspects of it. You know, I can't remember which episode it was where you said you were a unicorn in the field of speech language pathology. And this is another way that you're a unicorn. I don't think there's a lot of SLPs that can say that they have a background in deaf education. It's definitely a small crowd, and usually it's like you're an interpreter who becomes a speech therapist, but not often are you a teacher of the deaf or have a deaf education background specifically. So so yeah, that's how I ended up in the field. That's so cool. Yeah. So did your identity as a queer person impact this career choice? I don't think directly. I think indirectly, given that... And this is where I might be going into stereotypes, but as a gay male who has more connection with their emotional side, mm-hmm. I definitely am more inclined toward being a nurturer, I think. Okay. Again, stereotypes, it might just be me, but... Maybe you're just a nurturer. I might just be a nurturer. Yeah. Because I love working with kids. I'm good at it, and it's easy. So whether or not that is influenced by my sexuality, I'm not sure, but... Other than that, I would say no, because there is not a lot of us as as far as males go in this field, but there are quite a few gay males in speech therapy. So I would be curious. Census, Asha, we will do a census. Asha, Asha, come on. You do all these surveys and none on the LGBTQ community. We don't even know how many people are out there. Right. There might be a huge population, but who knows? But yeah, so that's my thought on it. Mm Mm-hmm. So what I know about you is that once you got into the field, you were in in early intervention for a while. Yeah. And then you transitioned into the school district. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So in your current position or in any position, have you always been out? Have there been situations where you haven't been out? What level of outness would you say that you've had in the past and currently? I would say you always start off closeted. Mm -hmm. And then there's always, at least for me now as a professional, I would say there's always a coming out period. And you come out every single time, every different setting, and to every single person. (laughs) That sounds so familiar to me. And, you know, especially... 
especially working in the school district that we work in, we are very frequently moved around to different buildings. Mm -hmm. And so it's like from year to year, from staff member to staff member, you're having to come out. You know, I have my own personal feelings about it. It exhausts me. But yeah. how do you feel about I it? I would definitely say the word exhausting is appropriate for that i think every single time i kind of take a deep breath and sigh because i have to do this right right and then i also have to weigh the risk of doing it which right. is huge right. i spend the majority of my time working in early elementary and preschool and there's still some really hardcore myths out there about gay men especially i think working with young working children. with young children and yeah. which is just horrific to me it's that burden of <laughs> it's so hard it's so hard to articulate what that that feels like it's very sad it, it really is i have often thought multiple times of just leaving working private working with adults just getting out of that environment just because it can be so toxic i don't like the fact that i'm associated with being a pedophile just because right. i work well with children and want to see them grow yeah because oh i just happen to be a homosexual it's been really hard staying here in the field because of it so even in this more liberal kind of area, you continue to find this a difficult thing? Oh, yeah. Okay. I have faced many an accusation and many an awkward moment where I felt... And where are they coming from? Are they coming from parents, from teachers? A mixture. So when I was in early intervention, there was a lot of uncertainty of me going into the home as okay. a male. Not sure whether or not my sexuality played a part in that, but that was always hard. And then as far as being in the schools, majority from students. Really? And then the rest from parents. Like young children. Young children. Mm -hmm. My first year in the district was very traumatic. It still is something that's really hard for me to process that happened. And it... That's interesting. I've had kids say things to me too. Yeah. I did a... Yeah like an about me kind of thing where I wanted to do an icebreaker so the students would get to know me. And I didn't say anything specifically about, you know, my sexual orientation. But of course, they were curious because most kids want to ask, like, do you have a girlfriend or do they you want to know? Wife? Yeah. Yeah. And, and rightfully so. And so I was up at the front of the classroom and I looked at the teacher. She kind of just gave me this smile where I knew she was going to back me no matter what. Right. But I had that deer in the headlight look and I said yeah I'm gay and the immediate response was that's disgusting yep I've gotten that before and tears welled up in my eyes and I of course did my best to maintain my professional you know whatever yeah. and I was like oh well some people have different backgrounds you know of course I was dying inside and the teacher you know she supported me and forever grateful to her I love her she's so wonderful but I cried in my car that day and I felt like I was 14 again and all of that anxiety all of that fear all of that trauma just came rushing back up again and I cried for 30 minutes straight after school was over and it didn't stop yeah it was bad like I had other students start calling me Mr. McGay they changed what? my name so my last name's Miguel so they changed my name to Mr. McGay oh my gosh and and this is uh, coming from elementary age students yes yeah, elementary age wow they're learning it from someone oh that... totally and I didn't have any admin support I thought that was the most disappointing part 
I'm sorry. For those of you not in the room, I'm just speechless. <laughs> I, it just, it blows my mind. Yeah. Ugh. It was super hard to even try to get support because my principal told me this is more than just you this is about the student don't take it personally and I thought how can you not right and even then how is that your response that principal did absolutely nothing because they had their own issues that they had to deal with clearly yeah I was so hurt by that it was bad I stopped doing pull-out therapy wow I would only do push-in to classrooms because I didn't feel safe I didn't get moved until the next year. So I had to finish out the school year in that environment. It started in November. So November through June, I figured something out. Thankfully, the other speech therapist who was working there was able to take on that part of the caseload for me. And we switched. Don't feel bad about leaving. (laughs) No, I mean, you shouldn't. And it just... PTSD. Yeah, I mean, just the trauma from that. And when you went into your next school placement, when you were finally moved, Mm -hmm. do you feel like that experience impacted how you introduced yourself in that building? I didn't come out to any students during that year. Right. I haven't come out to any students since, to be honest. I've only ever come out to other adults and staff members. That's understandable. Um, I don't... Oh, I lied. I came out to my high school age students this year. Okay. And that experience this year has changed a lot for me, which is great. I will say, though, being at the high school level, it's so important to be out. It's so important to be that model so that those students can feel connection. And I remember specifically students saying, like, we... I felt that solidarity mm-hmm. and I felt that my students were able to open up to me more because they saw in me someone that they could trust. And so it was so awesome, so rewarding. Sounds like that was a very healing experience for yes. you. Yes, healing would be the perfect word. Well, and after all that trauma, yeah, um, to have some of your students give you that affirmation. Right. Okay. I think that's what I needed when I was first coming out with the elementary age. I had that moment of you could just not answer this question and say that's a personal question. I'm not going to answer that, which silence means admission anyway. <laughs> well, and uh, as a non-straight person, I don't know if this is true or not, but I'm assuming that a straight person wouldn't hesitate to say, well, I'm married to, oh, right, you know. Right. For sure. That double standard is definitely there there would be no question so i mean that's i guess that's a takeaway is that for those of us who are in the lgbtq communities we always have to think about this right it is a burden professionally and so i had that moment and i remember thinking i'm either going to be a model for somebody who might need it right now and is just unaware of where they're at Mm -hmm. in their journey or i could hide and say that's not my place Well, and I wonder, even though you had a really negative experience, there had to be kids at that school who somewhere in the back of their mind knew that they were gay. Right. And while maybe you didn't see the result of that, having you be open and honest about yourself hopefully gave them some strength. I would say I do see that silver lining. If I see students now that are like, hey, I see you. I see myself in you. That is such a gift. I definitely think it's important that there are visible role models for LGBTQ plus children out there. So let's talk a little bit about 
allies Mm. okay what would you consider allyship to be in the field of speech language pathology like what would be the model ally i think for me being an ally in the professional setting and being an ally outside of that a lot of that you know goes hand in hand and it has to do with the idea of respect One of the ways that I think of respect is it's not what you do when I'm there. It's how you speak about me when I'm not. That really shows Mm. how much you respect me. And so as an ally, I want somebody to be able to be respectful of me when there isn't any visible LGBTQ plus representation in the room. I want someone to be considerate and inclusive of minority groups even when they're not present. I think that's a big part of it for me is doing that self-work, but also making sure that you're considerate and inclusive even when that representation isn't in your immediate population. Okay, so what would an ally not do? Well, I think one of the biggest risks that happen, especially in our field, is that white savior complex. Mm -hmm. That applies not just to ethnic backgrounds. That applies to any sort of minority group, at least from my opinion. Making sure the conversation is not about you and what you are doing to be an ally. I think it's about... Again, always making space for others, even when they're not there. That is such a huge part of the difficulties our country faces is that we love issues and care when they're forced upon us. But as soon as it's not the trend or as soon as it's not Pride Month or as soon as it's not Black History Month, I don't want that. Like when I was growing up, you could call yourself like a seasonal Catholic. Have you heard of that term? Oh my God. <laughs> so you're a seasonal Catholic when you went to church for... Uh-huh. Easter Easter and Christmas. (laughs) And so I don't need a seasonal ally. I want an ally who is there all the time. So let me make sure I've got this right. An ally does not stop. Yes, because I don't stop being gay. You don't? (laughs) Yeah, what a thought. I mean, I looked for the off switch, but I just can't find it. Right. I've been asked to stop, but no, there's, there's no stopping it. And so that's what true allyship looks like to me. What are your thoughts on visibility and representation in this field? I would say it's non-existent. Really? Okay. <laughs> I would say we're making it right now. This we're, podcast we're try- is part yeah. of that. There are groups, there's Facebook groups, there's meme pages. Our field is very homogenous mm-hmm. and that is a problem because we do work with so many different right. backgrounds. Not having that representation at higher levels is a problem. We focus so much on cultural competence for our clients that we don't really focus at all on how our own field as practitioners. What is the cultural makeup of that? So what are your thoughts on LGBTQ plus rights in the workplace? I think there's a difference between rights and norms. Right. And I think rights have finally been guaranteed based off the Supreme Court decision. Right. So with this is July of 2020. Yeah. Right. And the Supreme Court just clarified that the anti-discrimination based on sex includes sexual orientation. Correct. Just this year. As far as norms go, that is where I think we can make a lot of movement still. Mm -hmm. That's what I'd like to see more of. All right. So here's my next question for you. Do you have any queer role models, either SLPs or not SLPs? Queer role models. No one that's an SLP 
but I would say somebody who is like of celebrity status, mm-hmm. Jonathan Van Ness. Mm-hmm. On the television show On Queer the television Eye. show Queer Eye. Which is one of my favorite shows. Oh I gosh. I'm still working through the... I had to pace myself because I will just be emotionally distraught whenever a new season comes out. Really? So I'm working through the latest season still. But Oh, I uh, binged that. I binged I it. I can't. It just makes me cry. But yeah, so I'm there with that. Um, they are such a wonderful person. Such great energy. Such great... Just every bit of positivity but vulnerability and honesty that you could ask for in a person that has that platform. That is awesome. That is definitely one of my role models in the queer community. So those are all my questions, but do you have any final thoughts or are you saturated? Final thoughts. I think one of the things that I try to live by is lovely Brene Brown quote. Oh boy. (laughs) Can't have an episode apparently without bringing. I can't, but um, because I was just looking at my tattoo, I got a tattoo of something that she said. My tattoo basically says, "You are worthy," and I want everyone listening to this to remember that wherever you're at in your journey, you've always been worthy. And part of whatever work you're going through right now isn't about convincing yourself that you are. It's more about reclaiming your inherent worth because you've always been worthy. And that's something that I had to learn through all these ups and downs. And even through all of that crap, I was always worthy. Sometimes you lose sight of that. And I think that's something that once you kind of figure that out for yourself, you realize you're in a position to be that light for somebody else. Take that into consideration as a professional. Whatever field you're in, you get to be visible. And that is powerful but that's also like a privilege. And so I would say those are my last thoughts as far as being a proud professional. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm just over, I just have the warm fuzzies. Ugh. Okay. So that is our episode. You've learned a whole bunch about Hector. <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in. Yes, thank you. Um, so please do check out our Facebook page and Instagram page at The Queer SLP. We also have a website now called thequeerslp.com. So check that out. Make sure to recommend us to any of your friends and family and coworkers that you think might like this podcast. We are at Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcast at The Queer SLP. Tune in next week for our second Proud Professional episode where we get to learn more about our very own Natalie White. Yay. We'll see you guys then. Bye. Bye.